0: Well, one of the most loved hymns of all time has a 65-year history from the first verse being written to the last verse. The first verse was written in 1885 by Carl by Boberg after witnessing a great thunderstorm. He went home and wrote, O oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, Thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Written in Sweden, it moved through Europe, found its way to Russia. New lines were added, made it to the USA in the early 1900s, started to gain some popularity, And then in 1948, the last verse was written by S.K. Hine at the end of World War II when many people had been displaced by the war and kept asking, when are we going home? And he wrote this, when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and lead me home, what joy shall fill my heart, then I shall bow with humble adoration and then proclaim my God how great thou art. One of the most loved songs of all time is a celebration of who God is. And if you turn to Isaiah chapter five, we're going to see Isaiah calls us to that same heart. And he's going to describe here the difference between spiritual life and spiritual death, between worshiping God for who he is or seeking to simply get gain for ourselves. Isaiah 5, just two verses, one and two. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared the stones and planted choice vines. He built a watchtower and a winepress. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes. The context here, Isaiah, about 600 B.C., same time frame as the prophet Daniel. Isaiah is writing to say to the children of Israel, here's life, choose life, or here's spiritual death. And unfortunately, as you follow Isaiah, they chose spiritual death and suffered consequences for their sin and disobedience. But the words and the process are the same for us today. What's being laid out here in Isaiah is the spiritual path that lies before each of us. And there's two very different outcomes at the end of that path, depending on whether we celebrate God, how great thou art, or we seek something else. So what does Isaiah say again, the first verse? I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. The first thing that Isaiah says is, I sing for the one I love. First question we have to ask, is God our greatest love? Is He preeminent? Is Christ first on a daily basis? Now, we all fail and have sin, but where is our center? Truly, the beginning of life is to say, love God first. And so Isaiah says, I sing for the one I love. About a vineyard. And the vineyard being planted is the spiritual life before us. William Beta says this the desire to be in control of our own lives is the main reason behind the rejection of God's love. So, this brings us to an interesting idea by Peter Lord, who says there are two types of seekers in the world. Be sure to decide which type of seeker you will be from this point on. So the first type, Peter says, is the beggar. Let me give you a a discussion here about something that happened. I was in a graduate program. We went to France to go to some spiritual centers, and we had a chance to spend a few hours in Paris. So like most people, we went to the Eiffel Tower. When we got there, two ladies approached, they had dirty clothes, dirty faces, handed us, handed a note to us. The note said, we do not speak English. We are starving. Please help. There was a group of 10 of us. So we gave them some money, went about our way. The next morning we had a little extra time again, said, let's run back to the Eiffel tower and take some pictures. When we got there, We passed those same two ladies. They did not see us. This time, though, we listened as they spoke plain English. They wore nice clothes. They pulled out of a bag a dirty shirt, put on the dirty shirt, took dirt from the ground and wiped it on their clothing, and then wrote out their letter, the same one they gave to us that said, I don't speak English Starving, please help. They looked up and saw us. We said, remember us from yesterday. And they realized they had been caught. They simply took off and ran. And we recognized something in that moment. What Peter Lord is talking about, the beggar, he says, does not look to your eye. They look to your hand, what they can get and take from you. Sure, there are people that need help and we should help them. But there are others who are simply trying to take. And if we come to God to say, you know what, I'm like the beggar. I simply look to your hand, what you can give me. That's very different than Isaiah who said, I will sing for the one I love. The second type of seeker, then, that Peter, Lord, discusses is the lover. Do we day to day say, I love Jesus. That's why I want to live for him. Or are we like the beggar that does not make eye contact? We just watch the hand. What can I get? Psalm 27, my heart says, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Which Seeker will we be. Going back to Isaiah, he dug up the vineyard, cleared out the stones, and planted choice vines. What are the stones being cleared away? They're a metaphor for sin. You can't have seed growing on stone, they have to be cleared away. And so, two things Isaiah says, the stones are cleared. And then God plants choice vines. What does that choice vine look like for our life? It should be that we produce then on fertile soil, spiritually growing. Sin has been removed. Spiritually, we should grow in our life. Something fascinating Clarence Blazer said, talking about choosing wisely with that fertile soil, recognizing our sin has been removed. He goes on to say this. He says, Psalm 23 says, he guides me on the right path for his name's sake. Ask yourself when you pray, is what I am praying for protecting the name and the reputation of God? It's for his name's sake. And the stone sin has been removed and there's that fertile soil where we should then flourish and grow. We have to stop and say, you know what, if I say, I sing to the one I love, if he's removed sin, do I live my life in a way that protects his name and his reputation? Clarence had a fascinating discussion about this. His son was going to college and kept skipping classes and was facing failing a certain class and he had to face the professor and the son said to him, Pray that God give me favor. Clarence thought, you know, as he began to pray that, he sensed that still small voice. This is not the time to pray for favor. Your son has made choices. There are consequences to that choice. And he said he felt very clear, God speaking, don't pray for favor. This this is the time to pray for fairness. That that professor be fair. And so that's what he prayed. His son learned a lesson from that, and so did he about, are you living day to day, protecting the name and the reputation of God? Said very well, 1940, Albert Gray, any resolution made today must be made again tomorrow. So we all have good intentions, but they don't lead to the change unless we take action. So here's a simple success principle. And here's all you have to do. If you're married, do this later with your spouse. If you have kids sit down and discuss it with them, protecting the name and the reputation of God and living with integrity. Here's something to look at spiritually, relationally in your finance in your goals in your job. All you do is say if the next 12 months, we're an ideal year. And we imagine that going out those 12 months, having that ideal year. And then we look back and it's been the best year of your life. What did, what did that year look like? What did you have to do differently? So if you're married and say, imagine the next year is the best year of our marriage. Well, what changed on the day-to-day actions or the things that you said? What new rituals did you put into your life to consistently do differently to make that your best year? If your kids are going through a big decision, maybe thinking about college, you can say to them, look, if you chose this school and it was an ideal school year, what classes did you take and how did you study? And what did you do to grow? You see, stopping and saying, you know what? He's put me in fertile soil, taking the sin out of my life. How can I then live fully for him with passion and character and showing him I live to protect his name and reputation because he is the supreme one that I love. Back to Isaiah where it says this, the next verse. He built a watchtower. And cut out a wine press as well. The watchtower represents that God is our protector, our shield. Scripture says, the Lord is a strong tower the righteous run into, and they are safe. He built a watchtower. He watches over us, protects us, guides us. He also put a wine press in that vineyard. The wine press represents the challenges in life we all have to face the wine press. That's how faith grows. That's the purpose of the wine press. That's why we should look for those moments to challenge ourselves to grow. Rory Vaden shares a story. A, A woman was telling him about going through that wine press. She was in a building and the top floors caught fire. She was several dozen floors up And above her, there was the fire, but all the people went down the stairs. She had claustrophobia and had a great fear of stairs. And she said, here's what happened. The fireman showed up and what he said changed my life. And she continues to repeat what he says today. Facing the wine press, maybe your relationship, maybe a new career, maybe a new ministry, whatever it is, listen to what she said. The fireman said, we have to get out of here. And she looked at him and said, I am afraid. I don't want to go down the stairs. I don't want to do it. And here's what he said. That's okay. Do it scared. Do it scared. Do it scared. It's okay to be scared. Just do it scared. And floor by floor, step by step, he kept repeating over and over again, Do it scared. It's okay to be scared. Just do it scared. Don't avoid the wine press. It's there to challenge faith. And when faith is challenged and grows, that's the the beauty of being in that vineyard, knowing a watchtower is there as well. 30% of gym memberships go unused. 30%. Because again, good intentions do not produce the results that people are looking for. So moving beyond good intentions and moving to understanding the vineyard picture and the spiritual growth. Notice again what the next verse says here. Isaiah 5, chapter 2. He looked for a crop of good grapes. He looked for a crop of good grapes. What is the idea here? If you go to the New Testament, you'll remember that Jesus passes a fig tree and it says he was hungry and he went up to the tree and it had no good fruit on it. And then scripture describes his great disappointment in that. It was a metaphor, spiritual metaphor, that he examines our life He even says he examines every word that we say. Our words, our actions, he examines. And again, what does he look for? He looks for, again, quote, good grapes. So here's a man I want to tell you about, very honestly talks about the difference between that good fruit and the bad fruit and the consequence therein. This is Ron Ash. He wrote a book about prayer, Unfortunately, fortunately, the great change that was brought into his life in marriage. But originally what happened is he was looking for satisfaction in life. And he thought, well, I'll get married and that'll be the, the end all. He got married, but he had a problem with unfaithfulness. And six months in, he was unfaithful to his wife. She did not believe in divorce. So she stayed with him, but as he shared, the marriage was over. He thought maybe he could win her back. Four years passed. He tried everything he knew. He went to work, got promotions, made money, finished a degree. Nothing changed her heart. She simply looked at him in disdain. Four years. Finally, he went to church Heard somebody talk about prayer, thought that must be the answer, began to pray God restore his marriage. But it didn't happen. She still couldn't stand to look at him, held him in complete contempt. Four years of that, and then they said, here's what happened. One night, I remember looking at my wife in despair. I silently prayed, Lord, when will you give me my wife back. Immediately, God spoke to my heart, just as soon as you give me yourself. We're all put into the vineyard and we are to be like Isaiah. I sing for the one I love. He's taken the stones out. He's put a watchtower there. He's put a wine press to challenge and grow my faith. And he comes and he looks over my life to find good fruit. That's the intention. You see, the challenge is a lot of people wrestle with scarcity thinking fearful there's not enough or things can't change or things won't change. Abundant thinking is saying, you know what? I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength, who said, if I have faith as small as a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible for me. The abundance thinking is there's always enough because in that vineyard, he planted there fertile ground on which to grow my life. Here's something, I encourage you to write these down in the challenging times, in those wine press times, in the wrestling with the challenges or the daily stress. Dean Graziosi said, you know, find some power phrases like this. If I can get through this, I can get through anything. Or another one, nothing can stop me. I've been through way worse. You see, in those places where we can find that strength in our life and push through the wine press, come out the other side with strength in our faith, then good fruit is produced in our life. We close Isaiah 5, 4, which says, what more could have been done for my vineyard than what I've done already? You see, Christ is all that we need as long as He is the supreme the one that we love and give our lives to protect his name and reputation. This is Brian Welch, a singer, sold 30 million albums, also had a drug problem. His wife also had an addiction. They eventually had a daughter. He thought everything would be better. However, the addiction continued. He was on the road. Kept calling home to check on his wife and daughter. Everything changed though when she didn't answer the phone one night. He went into a panic, called again and again. She did not answer the phone for a week. She said, I'm leaving you and I'm leaving our daughter. You'll find her at the babysitter. He said, In that moment, I became a single father, an addict. But a single father, he had to rush home, find his daughter, and he thought he could do this on his own and brought her on the road. And then one day he heard her singing one of his songs with lyrics that were very foul. And he said, I've got to change. He asked a friend what to do. The friend said, you know, there's a verse in the Bible where Jesus says, if you're weary, come to me. I'll give you rest. Brian Welch said he was at home and said, I thought to myself, what is this life? Am I going to raise my kid so she can be miserable like me and have no answers for life? He said there in the darkness, he felt a voice say, come to me. And Brian Welch said, all I could get out of my mouth was father, father. I suddenly felt so much love from heaven. It was like, I don't condemn you. I love you. The next day, I threw away all my drugs. I quit the band. I told the members, I'm quitting. I've got the love from God coming into me and out of me to my kid. It changed me. He has a phrase that he shares. I encourage you to take this phrase as well. And the phrase is simply this, something he learned in the fire, in the wine press, in the redemption. And that phrase is simply, I am second. I am second. Jesus is first. Each of us, day to day, moment to moment, let us sing for the one we love about his vineyard who took the stones, built a watchtower, takes us through the wine press so we grow, protect his name and reputation, and daily say, I am second.